Good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you are here with us. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, so in just a few seconds, we're going to be lighting the four Advent candles. If you're worshiping at home, then we invite you to light your candles along with us. The four weeks of Advent celebrates the anticipation and the coming of Jesus. On the first Sunday, we light the candle remembering our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the second week, we light the candle recalling the peace that only he can bring into our lives. Last Sunday, we lit the third candle remembering the joy we experience in knowing and belonging to Jesus. And today, we light the candle contemplating God's promise of love and the light that it brings into our world. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. So now let us celebrate that good news by worshiping God. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Good to see everybody this morning at home. Welcome. Let's sing our carol this morning. Here we go. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight over and creation story now proclaim Messiah's birth come and worship come and worship worship Christ the Jesus. 
Emmanuel. God is with us. Amen. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for today. We thank you and we praise you for the gift, the miracle of your son's birth. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. And as we celebrate this Advent season, we can't help but think about this year. This year was wrought with a lot of things in our lives, and some good, some bad. But Lord, we are so thankful for the moments of peace that you gave us, the strength that you gave us to endure, the joy in our lives, and the hope for things to come. Lord, we truly love you, and we lift up your name in all that we do. Lord, we ask for you to pray for the families this year, the families that are going to be together and the families who aren't. Lord, we ask that the miracle of your birth and your life ignite the spirit of life and love in those households. And that it's so overwhelming that it overflows into their neighborhoods and their churches and their, their cities and their countries, Lord. We ask for this hope for a new year, a brighter new year, filled with your love, your hope, joy, and peace. Thank you for those things, Lord. Thank you for your son. And we love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. And indeed, thank you for that centering prayer this morning, Kim. And that is all of our prayers. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ Church. It is so good to be with you today, no matter where you are, if you're here in this space, socially distanced, or if you're joining us online this morning, wherever you are, we are glad you are here. And you know, during a pandemic and worshiping in the way that we have been, it's, it's easy to forget what this is all about. This is about relationship. It's about relationship with the living God that desires to be in relationship with us. And it's also about relationship with one another. And so it is our hope here at Christ Church that, that you would take the next step and get connected. And so if you are new here this morning, if you're new online, we want to connect with you. We want to get to know you. And we want to show you all the many different ways that you can get connected here at Christ Church. So if you'd like to learn more information, you can text the number that you see there on this screen. Or you can visit our website. Or if you're worshiping from home, you can also engage with the chat and someone will get in touch with you. You know, in our house, every couple of hours, I have two boys, Caleb and Noah, they're eight and 10 years old, and every couple of hours, they, they love to bug Google. Does anybody have like uh, Google or Alexa in your house? Our boys, they constantly say, hey, Google, how many more days until Christmas? And I'm thinking, you just asked Google that two hours ago, not to mention we have the countdown advent calendar in our kitchen, but they are so excited and so ready for Christmas to be here. And it's hard to believe that we are just a few days away. This is Christmas week. And of course, one of our long cherished traditions here at Christ Church is to gather in this space where thousands of people from the community gather for both our classic and contemporary services. But we don't believe that that is the safest thing to do this year. And so we have decided to not do in-person services, but we are so excited by what is unfolding with our online services in both our classic and contemporary. And so if you want to engage in our online Christmas Eve services, be ready and be expectant because we believe that even worshiping from home with your family or friends or, or however you might do that, that this year we together will encounter this living and relational God, no matter where you are. And so you can engage this year in a Christmas Eve services for a contemporary service every other hour beginning at 4 p.m. till 10 p.m. And if you'd like to also do the classic service, it is also every other hour on the odd from 5 p.m. until 11 p.m. And we are also rolling out something new for you this year that we are so excited about. And I actually got a sneak peek of it this year called 
Christmas Shorts. Christmas Shorts are a 10 to 15 minute interactive devotional with Pastor Pete Stearns and we also have some worship and I got to get a sneak peek of it and it is going to be wonderful. And in fact, it's gonna, we're going to roll out a new one every day this Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday and I cannot wait to gather my boys in the family room and lean in with open hearts and open minds. And hey, I know that we just gave you a lot of information. That's a lot to remember. And so we have a new tool for you this year. If you want to get a reminder 30 minutes before each Christmas short or 30 minutes before the Christmas Eve service, you can text this number on the screen and you can choose whether or not you'd like a text to come to you or an email to come to you and it'll come straight to your device or to your computer and say, hey, in 30 minutes is the Christmas Eve service. You know, this is the time of year especially that we as a people of God want to shine the light of Jesus. And we were so encouraged this year by one of our ministries called the Friendship Bible Class. They've been a long-standing ministry here at Christ Church for 28 years. And this is a cherished ministry of teens and adults of special needs that gather every single study to engage in relationship and connect with one another and connect with God and connect with God's word. And of course, because of the pandemic, things look different and our leaders have been getting so creative. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, our friendship Bible class hit the community in the neighborhoods and went Christmas caroling and shined the radiant and beautiful light of God. You can see some of the pictures here on the screen, and I don't know about you, but that inspires me and helps me remember why it is we celebrate the Christ child. We shine the light of the God who has come, and I'm so thankful for this Friendship Bible class for shining that light, and we want to be a church that does that, we want to be a church that shines the radiant light of Jesus wherever we go. And so our worship team is going to minister to us by singing a song. And we want to invite you to center yourself before a living, relational God. And just simply ask the question, God, how can I shine your light this year? How can I shine the light of Jesus? You know, one of the things that I forgot to mention to you, is when you give of your tithes and offerings, you support ministries just like this. And there are countless ministries across Christ Church of Oakbrook that are shining the light of Jesus and would not be possible if it were not for your generosity. And so perhaps one of the ways that you can also help us be a people of light is by asking the Lord, Lord, how can I take all that you have given me and use it to shine your light for the glory of this kingdom. And there are so many different ways that you can give. You can give by, by texting this number. I tried that a few weeks ago and I got a link right away and it was so easy to sign up. Or you can also visit the website. Or if you are here in person on your way out, there are offering plates. Or if you like to write a traditional check, we have a box outside of the church that you can drive by and you can drop it off or you can mail it in. There are so many different ways. But it is our hope, more than anything, that right here, right now, wherever you are, that you would simply ask of the Lord, Lord, how can I shine your light this Christmas season?
It's just um, such an awesome time of worship. I, I don't know about you, but I come into these 
services sometimes um, with my mind still racing from the activities of the day past and the things that are yet to come in the agenda for the day and week ahead. And then I find myself sometimes starting to settle down and then God ambushes me. <laughs> and the songs that we were singing together and the prayers that we're offering just fill my heart up and and set me into a new place, a place that is a lot healthier than, than I even knew uh, when I walked into the room. So I hope that's been something of your experience today too. Uh, we are just, again, so thrilled that you're worshiping with us this morning, whether you're sitting in your living room at home or in a coffee shop someplace or whether you're sitting personally here at the Oak Brook campus. Uh, you matter so much to us and we're honored to have you. Uh, I want to also just speak to those of you who are first-time folks. I know that uh, doing online uh, church service may be a weird uh, kind of thing for you, but we're really glad you came because we feel like we are a growing family even during this COVID season. And uh, hope and pray that uh, already in the service you found something speaking to your heart. I want to do something which we don't do every single week here, and that is I want to read an extended passage from the scriptures to you. Uh, and I want to invite you, if you care to join along in your own Bible, some of us keep one on our phone or have one in the house someplace, uh, to turn with me to the second chapter of Matthew's uh, gospel in the New Testament. And I want to invite you to read, to listen to this powerful story, and then I want to unpack its significance for us uh, in our time. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, that means wise men, um, scholars, uh, astrologers and astronomers, learned people, uh, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Why, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has said. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary... And I just love this. Remember, they see this astrological sign, uh, this amazing star, and they are overjoyed. But what is it that really reaches their hearts? We're told right here, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And then this is a part you don't hear about at Christmas very often, but I want to read it to you because this is very important. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in this strange and, well, a little bit upsetting story, we know that you are speaking to us and we ask for the ability now to take in that truth, to receive that transforming word that can help us live our life even more fully, even more joyfully, even more hopefully, because we have heard from you. So speak through my words, I pray, and may you be glorified in all these things. In Christ's name, amen. Well, there was a lot of excitement in the Jones house when their little son Henry was given a part in the Christmas pageant that year. And mom, who was an incredibly great mom, worked for a couple of weeks with Henry on the single line that he was going to give in this Christmas pageant. And finally, the day of the pageant arrived, and as the boy drifted nervously uh, onto the stage, Henry's mom worried that he might freeze up. He was a somewhat timid child, and she was concerned that he might have stage fright, and he wouldn't be able to perform his task. But, but as she's watching him out there, she's whispering to herself the line that they had practiced at home so often, it is I, be not afraid. He was playing the angel Gabriel in the Christmas story, and he had to just say that, it is I, be not afraid. And then right on cue, the boy's voice rang out strong that filled the auditorium with sound, and he say, it's me, and I'm scared. I love that story, um, not just because it reveals um, the stage fright I actually feel every time I get up here to talk to you, but because it tells us something very important about the nature of Christmas. I know that we have this tendency very often to associate Christmas uh, mainly with happy things. Visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, right? Visions of Santa's arrival fills the imagination of, of children. And that, this is a part of, of the experience for sure. But I think it's really important to remember that at least for some of the characters that we meet in the original Christmas story, Christmas was not so much a wonderful dream as it was something of a nightmare, if you think about it. Now, it, it says this literally right here in the scriptures themselves. The New Revised Standard Version of the text that I just read to you says, and I quote, When King Herod heard the wise men's report about the birth of Jesus, he was frightened. Some verses say he was terrified by the news of Jesus' coming. So what is it about the birth of Jesus? of Jesus that could in any way be a terrifying thing. Uh, in, in what sense was Herod afraid at the news that Christ was coming? And, and more personally, why might you and why might I actually, you know, get a little bit sobered up, if not outright shaken up, at the thought of the coming of, of Jesus? Well, to get at a, a an understanding of this uh, question, it's helpful to refresh your memory about who this guy Herod was. Uh, Herod uh, lived in a day that was arguably every bit as tumultuous, politically speaking, as our day, maybe more so. Administrations were constantly turning over in Herod's uh, day, and often violently. Yet Herod, during that period of history, had managed to hold on to the throne of Judea, the, the province of Judea, uh, uh, in ancient Israel, he had managed to hold on to that job for 40 years. Now, through a very skillful combination of public works projects and strategic assassinations and ruthless military suppression, Herod had kept the revolutionary tendencies of the notoriously rebellious Jewish people in check, just like the folks back in Rome liked it. 
And this attribute, along with his uh, politically savvy habit of naming his big building projects uh, after who would, whichever um, emperor was reigning in Rome or whichever emperor was uh, a new candidate was about to take over the job in Rome, uh, his tendency just to be, uh, to, to be a little fawning that way made him extremely popular with a whole series of, of Roman emperors. And in recognition of the service of King Herod, the Roman Senate actually gave him a title. They actually voted upon him, conferred upon him, the official title, King of the Jews, which Herod liked quite a bit. So you can imagine how happily he received the news when the wise men come walking in, and, and, and they start asking, where is the child who has been born the what? The king of the Jews. Herod's going, well, I know where the king is, and he is not a child. So if the wise men are right about what they're saying, then the birth of this Christ child in Bethlehem is a threat to Herod's power and position. It meant that there was going to come a day, if this, this child, this storied messianic child, uh, was for real, then there was going to come a day when Herod would no longer be calling the shots. There was going to come a time when the resources of the kingdom would no longer be his to dole out in the ways that he chose, or when he would no longer have it in his power to say who dies and who lives, when he would have to give up the place on the throne that he had successfully held on to for how many? 40 years. Yeah. So no wonder Herod is frightened. The question is, are you, should you be, at all concerned about the coming of the Christ and what that means for you? I got to thinking about this for myself personally recently, and I, and I began to think, you know what? If I really take Christmas at face value, it could be a little upsetting on one level. Because to be really honest with you, I am just fine with Jesus coming uh, to be the advisor to my administration. You know what I mean? I mean, if he's showing up and he's bringing some good counsel, hey, I, I'm always willing to take a little advice. I, I love creative suggestions. When I'm in a pinch or I need some help, yeah, Jesus, bring it on. I'm really glad to have you involved. I, I, I love the thought of having Jesus around. I, I'm willing to put in at least an hour a week to have him as my personal spiritual consultant. As you know, sort of like part of my cabinet, along with the, all the other good voices I listen to. This, however, is not what Christmas means. That's not what's happening at Christmas. The birth of Jesus means that somebody has arrived who belongs on the throne in which my derriere is, is somewhat firmly planted. Uh, it means that somebody has come who, who wants to govern the big chair of my life. He wants to direct the use of all of my resources. He, he wants to affect how I talk with and treat other people. He, he wants to, to guide the, the, the way I spend my time and energies in life. He regards every single thought that I have and every sphere of involvement in my life as either a loyal or as a yet-to-be-recovered part of his dominion. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He is the ultimate one who belongs on the throne. So does that register with you too? Does, does, does it hit you? Have you taken in, alongside all of the happy thoughts of Christmas, that Jesus is something of a threat to your power and position too, uh, properly understood? Herod understood that. And, and he got he got even more of the implications 
than that, I think, as well. He also understood that the birth of this baby in Bethlehem meant that his pursuit of prestige was also threatened. The wise men made that very clear to him. I mean, just picture this scene. These guys come shuffling in from the east. Herod's had lots of visitors before. He's regularly having people stopping in to check in uh, in the throne room. They, they, they file into um, the room of, of the audience room of Herod the Great. And by the way, Herod the Great was the title that Herod picked for himself. The Romans gave him king of the Jews. He called himself Herod the Great. It was his favorite title. And these guys come traipsing in, but instead of, of showering him with, oh, your majesty, oh, your unrepeatable magnificence, oh, your, all the stuff that people would say to lords and kings in ancient times. Instead, all these guys can talk about is this child that they have come to pay homage to which means it's just a fancy word for tribute and praise and glory to. We observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage, they say. Now that is the second frightening thing about Christmas, at least potentially, it seems to me. It means that something has happened in history that must necessarily shift the focus off of our lives, off of our desire to seek to receive homage from other people and shift it on to paying homage to Jesus above all else. Uh, now, this may not be an issue for you, but I will confess this is a challenge for me. Um, I probably don't um, show this very often, at least maybe, maybe I'm deceived about that. Maybe that's visible to everybody. I can be a little bit like the kid who, um, who, who's playing darts with her dad. And, and, and she says, she says um, Daddy, I'm going to stand over here and I'm going to throw the darts. And you stand over here and each time I throw one of the darts, you just say, wonderful. Wonderful. There's this part of me that just wants to hear people tell me how wonderful I am. Uh, and sometimes when they are saying nice things to me, there's this part of me, I don't say it out loud, but this part of me thinks, oh, you maybe haven't said quite enough, you know? Um, again, it's not going on all the time, but it's this, it's this part of me that wants to live for the accolades and the affirmations of, of other people. I don't know if any of you can, can relate to that in your own experience. Uh, I know that if I am going to get with the true spirit of Christmas, however, then I have got to become a whole lot more concerned about seeing Jesus' star rise than, than winning five stars from other people or getting my star on the door, so to speak. I've got to be a whole lot less focused on making an excellent impression on other people for the sake of my good name than on living in a faithful way to bring glory to his name. That, that's the shift that Christmas is, is calling for. I realize that if I understand what's really going on in the Christmas story, then I have to be open to actually being criticized by people. If it will help me be a better servant, if it will help shape my character to make it more like Jesus's. And, and frankly, I'll have to die to self more than I already have. As Jesus goes on to tell us as he grows up, that if you want to come after me, you must take up your cross and, and die to self. Um, and you know what? That's, that's scary. <laughs> uh, especially in a society that's, where it's every voice is, you know, it's about you. The way of Jesus can be a scary thing. It can be a challenge to my pursuit of prestige. There's another thing about Christmas um, that, that is scary, and, and I think Herod got this. The coming of Jesus into the world at Christmas threatens our, our power and our position. It challenges our per pursuit of prestige. And thirdly, and maybe the hardest to take of all, it, is that it 
that our perceptions about the presence or absence of God get shattered by Christmas. They really get shattered. Now, way back in the first century AD, the Jewish people had a lot of clarity about the way God worked. They felt like they knew God's M.O. well. They believed he was mostly active in ancient times. In fact, in the first century, they, God hadn't done anything really very big for like hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, there hadn't been a prophet. There hadn't been any uh, massive miracles going on. Uh, as far as the Jews were concerned, God was m- mainly from sort of the, a B.C. kind of God, you know, an ancient time kind of God. Secondly, they knew that God, when he was I- I- paying attention, was mainly interested in religious rituals. I mean, the Pharisees taught that. The priests taught that. It was, you know, you need to keep the feast. You need to do the ritual purifications. You need need to do all these kind of things. That's what he was mainly concerned with, superficial activities. And thirdly, they, they basically sensed that God was high and mighty, which was a polite way of saying not involved. Out there someplace but not really seriously concerned with my job, my marriage, my neighbors, the affairs going on around, the way I spend my money. No, God was too great for those kinds of things. I think, to be truthful, a lot of people still kind of live with this picture, right? Don't don't we? I mean, I slip into it myself, you know, I, I, I think God, you know, maybe God is mainly sort of the, uh, uh, being in this book. Uh, you know, he's, he's part of history. Uh, he's, he cares a lot about whether I show up at church or I check off this, this activity or that activity. He's way out there, but I'm not sure he's really involved. I mean, I can slip into this way of thinking quite a bit. And then comes Christmas, and it wrecks my sense of God's M.O., I mean, it really, it, it just like, it, it blows what I would think I would do if I were God. You know, I would have shown up at the White House. I would have shown up, you know, in, with a battalion. You know, I would have shown up in very different ways. I love the way Frederick Beekner, a Presbyterian author and writer, puts it. He says, those who believe in God, after you know about Bethlehem, those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Because once they've seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear the next time or to what lengths he will go, to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of humanity. For if holiness and power and majesty like God's were present in this birth of a peasant child, writes Beekner, then there is no place and no time so lowly, so earthbound, that holiness cannot be present there two. And this means that there is no place we can hide from God. There's no place where we're safe from his power to break into the human heart and recreate it again. Christmas, I'm trying to tell you, can tap into some of our deepest fears when we really understand it. Our power and position are threatened. Our pursuit of prestige gets challenged. Our sense of the presence or the absence of God gets shattered. And it's understandable why, if you really do get that, (laughs) that why a person would be tempted to try and keep Christmas contained. You know, I mean, to try and box it up, kind of like the boxes we put our ornaments in after we take them off the tree, you know. We enjoyed looking at them briefly, but they go back in the box and they're in the basement of the closet. We don't want to be looking at them all of the time. And in a sense, that's what Herod was trying to do. 
when he ordered the genocide of all those kids because he just was too scared of the implications of Christmas to allow it to go on. You know, the Grinch. Where did the inspiration for Seuss's The Grinch come from? From Herod. You know, the Bible teaches that fear is not always a bad thing. Uh, Actually, the Bible says in one of its most famous verses, it's found in the book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, the text says. Now that phrase, the fear of the Lord, uh, benefits from explanation. And it has really two specific senses to it. Uh, One is the sense of appropriate terror before a God who is holy. And by holy, we mean absolutely pure and completely powerful. You know, I'm always amused by people that talk about, well, I had a little conversation with the man upstairs. No, you did not. Because had you been in the presence, had you looked into the face of the one, the holy one, I don't think there'd be a lot of things coming out of your mouth except stuff you would want to clean up off the floor, right? It's when you understand the holiness and the majesty and the purity and the glory of God, it strikes an appropriate sense of fear into you for your condition. Uh, But there's another connotation to to that phrase, the fear of the Lord, that's, that's equally important to get. As biblical people understand it, it is also a sense of, the, of wondrous awe, of actual joy in having a God that great. Uh, first of all, since Jesus is really the king, then, then the good news is we don't have to carry the weight of the throne by ourselves or, or maybe even at all. I don't know how many of you have been to New York City in recent days, probably not a lot, but others of you have visited, and you will probably, many of you will have seen this statue that stands outside of the old RCA building at Rockefeller Center in New York, and it's a statue of Atlas holding up the world. Some of you have seen this, right? You know, you can see him you know, bowing down under the weight of what he is carrying. And every single sinew in his, in his beautiful body is like taut uh, with the pressure of what it is that he's carrying. And you can just see him straining against it. It is tough to be king and to carry the weight of the world. Uneasy is the head. Uneasy sleeps the head that wears the crown, you know. Some of us are, are, are like that. We, some of us are like that right now. I mean, it feels like we're carrying so much. I mean, we wake up every day, and the first thing we do is sigh at the thought of what we have got to contend with today, what we've got to get organized, what we've got to get done, the people we need to please, right? It's hard. We're like that, that figure of Atlas. But you know, there's another statue not far from that one. It's actually right across the street from that one, inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral. And this statue is of a child, of of a child. And the child in this particular statue inside St. Patrick's has got a, a look of delight on his face. He's got a stance of ease and grace. And upon his outstretched hand balanced confidently as if it was the easiest, most natural, the most joyful thing in the world possible to manage is the globe of the world. And the child is Jesus. And you see how capable he is of managing what Atlas struggles under. What's the message for us in this? Give him the throne. (laughs) Let him. Let him be God. Let him be king. We don't have to carry 
this weight of expectation, this weight of perfection, this weight of all of the weights that you know about and that I know about. Secondly, the other piece of good news, if Jesus is who he says he is, is that we can also relinquish the exhausting struggle to, to try and gain prestige in the eyes of other people. We can let this go. You know, the wise men understood the homage belonged to him. And I will say wise men and women get that the homage belongs to Jesus anyway. The awesome truth, however, is that in coming into this world, Jesus is basically saying on behalf of God the Father and the Spirit, wonderful. I think you're wonderful. I, I will leave heaven. I will leave eternity. I will enter into time and space. I will become uh, a human being in, in the backwoods of the world. I will walk in your shoes. I will stretch out my arms on a cross. I will bleed and die on your behalf for the forgiveness of your sins because I think you are that wonderful. I love you that much. I care for you that deeply. Brothers and sisters, you don't need to be worrying about how many stars other people are giving you, ever. Because the one person, the one being, the actually perfect, opinioned, brilliant being, the one in the universe who, whose point of view actually matters the very most has already declared his commitment to you and his value for you. So forget about your stars and put your efforts into pointing others to Christ's glory that they might also receive the priceless gift of esteem that comes from being one of his. And finally, think about this. The birth of Jesus shows us that God is more unpredictable and more present than it might appear to us. And the good news is there is no dark stable in this world in which the light of God, the light of the world, cannot enter in and transform it. He can meet you in that financial crisis, if that's what you're dealing with right now. He can be born in you in a moment of arrogant success and change your point of view about life. He can enter into and change that relationship that is dying or has gone cold. He can come alongside of you, even in the middle of your illness, and provide the grace you need one day at a time. He can, he can be there and redeem your vision for the next season of your life. He can renew your strength if you are weary. He can give you the courage, and he will to provide all of us the courage to keep on persevering till this whole COVID winter gives way to the warmth of a new day, as it will. Jesus is the light, and the light of Christ can lead us from fear to faith. There's only one thing required. Only one thing. To let the power that God brings us at Christmas really do its work more fully. It's the one thing that Walter understood. Nine-year-old Walter was also given a part to play in a Christmas pageant that year. And just like uh, Henry's mother, Walt's mom got involved and helped him rehearse the line. His job was to play a very significant role in the Christmas story. And at long last, the time came, and Mary and Joseph uh, knocked on the door of the motel in Bethlehem, and the door opened, and there stood Walter, who had been picked as the innkeeper. And, and his mom held her breath, uh, worried would he remember the line, 
but she had nothing to worry about because right on cue, Walt's voice rang out, there's no room at the inn. And exactly as planned, Mary and Joseph hang their heads and they turn around and they walk away. But what was not in the script, except maybe in God's, was what happened next. Because all of a sudden, this, this furrow comes over the brow of Walter. And this, this tremendous look of concern, this, this look that somewhere between terror at what he was about to do and awe that he had the chance to do it, suddenly Walter cries out, wait, come back. You can have my room. And I think the angels sang someplace. And grace broke in. And Christmas came in a deeper way in that auditorium. As Walter opened his life to Jesus. This can happen again this year. It can happen for you. It can happen in me. All we need to do is say to the one who comes to meet us at Christmas, I'm not just going to look at you. I'm not going to just treat you as an interesting curiosity. I am going to welcome you in. I'm going to ask you to come and take your rightful place at the center of my life, on the throne of my life. I'm going to commit myself to, to giving you the honor and the glory that you deserve. I, I know you might show up and work things out in my life in ways that I have never predicted. And I trust you, God. I trust you, Jesus. So come in, have my room, have my seat. I choose, in spite of my fears, to put my faith in you. And as we continue together this journey towards Christmas, I pray that words something like that, a heart something like that, is what Jesus is going to find in you and in me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just ask for the ability to, to live more wisely and more creatively than Herod knew how. We ask you to help us to stop from trying to box up or banish the truly fearsome implications of your arrival if this is truly our kingdom. Instead, we pray that you will turn our terror into a joy-filled awe at what it can mean for good when we give you the throne, when we focus our lives on rendering homage to you and when we look for your presence even in the dark places of this life. You who are the light of the world, shine upon us, we ask, as we put our faith afresh in you, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Precious Lord Jesus, treasure of
coming up. Uh, you've got lots of options there. Invite others to join in as well if you would. Uh, post it, share it, let people know about the opportunity to be encouraged this season. This is going to be a hopeful Christmas set of messages and the music. Uh, this is a time when we need that hope and God has got it for us. I want to just also say that, that wherever you are during this week to come, I'm going to be praying for you that God will provide you with what you need for this journey. He sees you. He does believe you're wonderful. And if you open yourself to him, you will know the joy of not only finding that love for yourself, but of being a conduit of that love for other people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you this Christmas until we meet again and forevermore.